as always, we are so appreciative of all of our Patreon supporters, and we would like to say a special hello and thank you to some of our newest members, including Michelle E. from Louisville, Kentucky, Julianne V. from Vancouver, Washington, Echo G. from Cottonwood Falls, Kansas, and let's not forget Stephanie N. from Pinellas Park, Florida, Louise Rickshaw from Friday Harbor, Washington, and Rachel L. from St. Peter's, Missouri. Thank you so much. And if you would like to hear your voice said by our amazing voices and to support us, you can find us at patreon.com. Just search for Murder in the Rain, where for $1, you'll get ad-free episodes. For only $5, you'll get full bonus episodes, including extra bloopers. And for $10, you will get your name set on the show. Thanks so much, guys. And just send us some suggestions of what we should do for Patreon. And because it's hard to think of stuff. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Today, I bring you yet another devastating case of a family fractured by murder. Nestled next to the Canal Acres and Bryant Nature Parks in Lake Oswego is a stereotypical Little Oregon neighborhood. Sixteen houses can be found along the inside of Indian Springs Circle. On any given day, you can find people outside mowing their lawns, taking a walk with their dogs, or waving at a friendly neighbor. But on a summer evening in 2012, the neighborhood would be disturbed by the sound of gunshots. No one could have imagined the grisly event that would take place in their quiet neighborhood and how the sounds of gunfire would haunt them for years to come. This is the case of the Juarez and Wallace family murders. The Juarez family lived a happy life in Mountain View, California. They were a family of four, Martin, a director of operations at Hewlett-Packard and a U.S. Berkeley graduate, Tamara, a teacher and Stanford graduate, and their two children, Nick, 16, and Sonia, 13. The couple had their hands full with their teenage son, Nick, not because he was a troublemaker, but because he was very involved in music, which filled up every free hour he had. Nick was in three bands at school, symphonic, marching, and jazz, as well as a band at church. At 16 years old, Nick was already considering his future. Though the Juarez family was Californian through and through, Nick was interested in the University of Washington. In June of 2012, his family planned for him to spend a week with his grandmother in Oregon, where he would spend time at her home with his uncle, as well as taking a tour of the UW campus. He even had a ticket to see the percussion ensemble perform, a band he was hoping to someday become a part of. Sandra Sue Wallace, who went by the name Sue, was 71 years old and had two grown children, her daughter Tamara, who went by Tammy, and her son Adrian. For years, Sue worked as a clinical social worker in the psychiatric department of Kaiser Permanente Hospital in San Bernardino, California. After she retired, she relocated to Lake Oswego, a suburb outside of Portland, Oregon. Sue's son, Tammy's brother, Adrian, had a tumultuous life. While his mother and sister flourished, he struggled to keep a job, and as an adult found himself needing to move in with his mother in 2009. He was unemployed and rather reclusive. He didn't really have any friends and never even interacted with neighbors. Sue, on the other hand, was incredibly social. She regularly walked her corgi with her neighbor Richard, who also had a corgi, and while she spoke of her son often, Richard only ever met him once. She often said that Adrian had a hard time relating to people, which made him pretty quiet and kind of unfriendly. It was no secret that Adrian spent most of his time inside his mother's home, drinking, smoking, and constantly playing video games. The adult version of him wasn't much different than what he was like as a child. The child version of Adrian was described as highly intelligent, but even as a grade schooler, he was viewed as a loner. All around him, he saw people who were happy and social and seemed to get along with each other, but he just didn't fit in and had an agonizing time trying to communicate. Tammy and Adrian didn't get along, a theme that continued since their childhood. When Adrian was 15 years old, he physically assaulted his sister, which resulted in him going to juvenile detention and her initiating a very distant relationship with him. By the time he was in his 20s, he was constantly battling depression. He asked for help and was able to get mental health treatment, but he was eventually hospitalized for self-harm. Adrian's struggles with mental health limited his ability to secure a job. He had started training to be an industrial maintenance mechanic as he did well working with machines, but eventually that dream faded due to his social and mental health issues. 
He supported himself for some time using Social Security disability payments, but those eventually ran out, and that's why he ended up so reliant on his mother. On the evening of June 4, 2012, Jeremy Veramilia, a lawyer who lived on Indian Springs Circle, heard gunshots. He quickly moved to his French doors, which had a direct view to his neighbor Sue Wallace's front lawn. As he peered out the window, he saw a man holding a rifle. Next to the man, laying on the ground, was a body. As he looked on, the man turned to the car in the driveway, squatted down lower to the ground, and pointed the barrel of the gun into the car before firing several shots. Jeremy stared on in horror and quickly dialed 911. He watched as the man casually set the rifle on the ground and walked into the open garage and closed the door. A few minutes later, the same man opened the garage door and began smoking a cigarette while he spoke to someone on a cordless phone. Jeremy was not the only neighbor to call 911 that evening. Several calls were made, and each time the 911 dispatchers told the callers to stay inside, lock their doors, and that help was on the way. However, one of the calls lasted roughly 20 minutes. The call, made at 6.16 p.m. on June 4th, was placed by the shooter. We're going to play a portion of that 911 call now. In the back of the house or the front of the house? In the front of the house. Okay. And are you inside now? I'm ready to surrender. Okay. Are you, I don't are give you... a shit about this life anymore. I don't care. Okay, well, I, I don't want you to do anything to yourself, okay? I don't want you to kill yourself. Yeah, I know. You want your case. No, no, sir. That's, not, that's not what Good. I'm getting at. Great. Fine. Wonderful. Okay. Are, are you inside or outside? I'm smoking a cigarette in the garage. Okay. My last cigarette, I suppose. Are you armed at all now? I don't really respect your cops at all. But, no, if okay. they uh, treat me with respect, okay, I'll go ahead and be a prisoner. That's fine. Okay, you're, so you're not armed with any weapons any longer? No. Okay. Okay. Is anybody else there with you? No. Okay. Um, can I ask your date of birth, sir? I don't remember. It's okay. uh, 9, 1971, I think. Okay. You, so you said that you, you went crazy, you had some kind of mental break? Well, I'm going to open the garage door. I can't believe I did what I did. Okay. I want to I want to help you as much as I can. Okay, so whatever whatever you. No, need. I did what I did. No, I I know, but anything. People have been killed. Okay. It's, uh, it's a criminal act. I committed a crime. Okay. People are dead. They're not moving around. Okay. We don't know that we might be able to help them still. People are dead. Okay. This is it. Okay. I believe you. You didn't have it coming. Fucking scumbag. What, what, what brought this on? Well, multiple repeated fucking crimes, child abuse, shit like that. Okay. A against you? 
Why are you asking me this stuff? Just fucking arrest me and throw me in a cage. Uh, sir, I'm, 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 sending, I'm sending people to come help you, okay? Help me? Yes, they're, they're on the way to come help you, okay? Hello? I just committed a double fucking I, I, homicide. I, I understand. There's no help. You're I, just trying to protect your officers. Where are they? They're, they're I'm coming, surrendering. They're coming as fast as they can, sir. You don't do what I did and get away with it. That's against the law. I surrender. Just give me a fucking cop. I surrender. That's how it is. They're, they're coming as fast as they can. I promise you that, okay? If you're going to act like you're personally interested, I was an abused child. My scumbag family lied and lied and lied about it. And uh, I just snapped. Okay. I just couldn't take the lies no more. You're tapping on your keyboard. I can hear that. Yes, because I, like I told you, I'm sending officers out there to come help you, okay? And I'm trying to get them to come as fast as they can. They are driving as fast as they can right out of you. I promise you that. Well, just fucking kill me because I'm not going to kill myself. It's okay, we, we don't want to kill you either. Yeah, you do. No, sir, I, I do not want to kill you, and none of those officers want to kill you either. <sighs> read that in the handbook or something? No, I am serious. I'm being serious with you. I'm being dead honest with you. What part of double homicide do you not understand? I know that you I'm had, a bad guy I, now. I know that you had to be hurting to do what you I did. I used to be the good guy. I used to help people. I, I know now that you Now I'm the fucking murderer. I just killed two people. Okay. I, I understand. I, I, I understand that you have done something horrible. Do you understand that I just killed two people? Yes, I do. I'm, I I'm used hearing. to be the good guy. I used to help people. Then a bunch of so-tell-me-about-yourself scumbags discriminated against me, made me impossible to employ. These motherfuckers betrayed me for the last goddamn time. I'm part of a family that... No, I... Fucking child molester scumbags. I agree. I agree. And... Like I said, uh -huh, yeah, uh, nine one one operator stuff. Sir, no, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm doing. What you're trying to do is keep me on the phone, so the cops can sneak up on me. No, they're, they're, they're not going to sneak up mother. on me. Do you understand? They're I just not, shot my they're mother. They're not going to sneak up head. on you. They they know that you know. I've I've told I told them that 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 you are they're aware that they're coming. in a fucking prison cell because I don't want to do this anymore. They're, they're coming as fast as they can, I promise. They are not trying to sneak up on you. They know that you called. Just give me some handcuffs and a fucking prison cell. Shoot me in the head. Kill me. Sir, nobody wants to kill you. Yes, you do. Nobody wants you dead. What has happened okay, to you is we'll horrible. Okay, we'll do it by the process of law. We'll what just has happened make it to you all is horrible. Stuff. Then you'll kill me. No, what has happened to you is horrible. What happened to your family is horrible. What happened to everybody here is horrible. My mother's brains are on the driveway. Okay. The driveway I cleaned for her, and, uh, you know, and I, I know, know you don't hell feel doesn't good result. about that. I know you don't. They're coming I as fast understand. as they can. They are coming as fast as they can. Well, they're being real slow because they're going to see a goddamn mess, and it's going to be a fucking tragedy. I know that this is horrible. I'm so sorry. 
You deal with this stuff all the time, do you? Not like this, no. You don't have a confession on the phone? Not, not usually, no. Well, I don't like your society. You don't like my society? That's right. I don't like it sometimes either. I, I know. I like this. But fuck it. Fuck it. I'm very sorry for what's happened to you. Just get your cops here. I'm waiting to surrender. They're coming. I know. I don't want to do this anymore. Thank you for calling. Well, what are you supposed to do when you shoot your fucking mother in the head? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I hear a sound. My hands are up. Not like I care. And it's the wrong car. My mother's brains are on the ground. Somebody, please just fucking kill me. Nobody wants to kill you, sir. Well, I made a deal a long time ago. With who? With God. Okay. What was that deal? I was going to help everybody I could help, and I was going to walk away from everybody I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I broke that deal today. We all do things that we don't have any way to explain. We all break promises with God. Murder. We I'm don't a all fucking do murderer that. now. You know what, though? Each sin is still a sin. I'm a murderer. So you're a human being. Well... Yeah, and a murderer. You're that's a human not being. Okay. That's okay. That's wrong. I, I know. I know it's wrong. But we all do things that are wrong. They're dead. I know. Adrian Wallace not only tells the 911 operator that he just killed two people, but also went on to tell police when they arrived. When police got on site, they found Sue Wallace sprawled on the ground of her front lawn just outside of her car where her nephew Nick was slouched in the passenger seat. Both of them were deceased. Between the two of them, there were almost 20 rounds from a Springfield M1A rifle. The shots that Jeremy heard before calling 911 were from when Adrian shot his mother in the head as she planned to get in her car and flee the scene. He then lowered himself down and pointed the rifle into the car directly at Nick and fired more shots. The skulls of both Nick and Sue were nearly fully shattered. Police promptly arrested Adrian, reading him his Miranda rights and then placing him into the police cruiser. When asked by police, he repeats what he told the 911 operator. He then continued, offering insight to why he did it. I don't have the recording, but the entire conversation inside of the police cruiser was video recorded. He seemed to have fully accepted what he had done because he went on to say, quote, I'll never have this much comfort again. I should have shot myself, unquote. He felt he was going away for life for what he had done. There are multiple points of this conversation where Adrian brings up the death penalty, like that's definitely going to be on the table for him. 
as police continued to interview him, his motive became a little more clear. He ranted about how his family made him feel so worthless he wanted to die. What's interesting about Adrian is he is intelligent and sounded lucid when he called the police out while they were trying to determine his motive. He basically told them that they are looking for something deeper than what really happened. He said, quote, you're looking for a drug deal and espionage and some James Bond shit, unquote. So they finally asked, why did you do it? The answer to that was a long history. He said it started with abuse, similar to what he mentioned on the 911 call. He alludes to sexual abuse in his childhood. He then says his sister physically abused him when he was five, and it was her fault that he went to juvenile detention after he assaulted her when he was 15. The abusive history then turned into racial issues. There was contention between Adrian and his sister's family. Tammy married a Mexican man, and it was very clear that Adrian had issues with that. He claimed the racism was on his brother-in-law and nephew's side, as he told police, quote, they hated me because of my skin color and that his nephew inherited his skin color from his father. That basically, the two hated him because they were Mexican and he was not. He then went on to talk about how his mother has created who he was, that he can't get a job because he's an alcoholic because she buys him beer, and now he's conditioned to, quote, smoke cigarettes, drink beer, and try to be invisible. After all of the blame he put on his family, he did eventually get into the specifics of that day. Nick and Sue had spent the week together, something they did every year, but the trip was coming to an end. The day that the shooting occurred was Nick's last full day in Oregon. He and his grandmother were planning to leave for Mountain View the next morning, June 5th, because Nick's sister Sonia was graduating from middle school. Earlier that day, Adrian and Nick played video games together. Nick beat him at a game and said the words, beat it. This was heard by Adrian and taken as a slight but it's thought that it was just a reference to winning the game, but it set Adrian off. It was clear he took it as a slight against him personally. Adrian then started to go on a rant, verbally attacking his teenage nephew and making very racist remarks about him and his father. His verbal aggression was escalating, so Sue and Nick left the house and fled to the car. If I had to guess, Sue could see that Adrian might turn to violence, so she wanted to de-escalate the situation by providing some distance. Unfortunately, she had no idea that their leaving would push Adrian over the edge. As they left the house, Adrian went to his bedroom to grab his hunting rifle that he kept behind his door. He followed them outside. Nick had already gotten into the car, but Sue was standing in the front yard just steps away from the driver's side door. Without hesitation, he aimed the barrel at his mother and fired before turning the gun on his nephew. Adrian elaborated that he did it because he felt panicked at the idea that his mother might have been at her wit's end with him and would kick him out of her home permanently. After he killed them, Adrian went back inside and within a few minutes made the call to 911. The day after the murders, Adrian Wallace's sister was interviewed by police. When asked if her brother had mental health issues, she said that he did, that he struggled with depression and had poor social skills, which made it difficult to interact with people. She went on to say that he was not psychotic. He had, however, been violent toward her in the past. Adrian Wallace mentioned in his 911 call that he had been abused. He even called unknown family members child molesters. Wallace told police that when he was five, his sister, who was three years older, beat him 40 or 50 times with an oven rack. Tammy says that never happened, but that when she was 18 years old and Wallace was 15, 
She took a folding knife away from him and he proceeded to hit her in the face multiple times. That incident got him a stint in juvie. I can't say what went on between him and his father, or if that was who he was even referencing when he said the family had child molesters. But when his father's health was declining, they had to move him into a retirement home. Adrian was estranged from his father, but Tammy wasn't. So she called to tell Adrian that she was moving their father, and he screamed and screamed at her, seemingly showing no empathy toward their father's ailing health. I don't know if that alludes to any deep-seated issues, but it is odd. Adrian Wallace's trial began in June of 2014, two years after the murders took place. I think everyone was pretty much prepared for what the defense team had planned to do, and that was to plead insanity. I'm not sure if we've actually ever gone over the rules for pleading guilty except for insanity. I know we've definitely touched on the topic. Yeah, I don't think we've gone in depth on it. So I thought I might mention that under Oregon law, someone can be found guilty except for insanity if they suffer from a mental disease or defect that would have impacted their judgment or control during the time of a crime. This will happen during the criminal trial. The defense will submit the plea, and then it's up to them to prove it. This will come in the form of an evaluation by a psychologist or a psychiatrist, or both. They'll often discuss the defendant's medical history and speak to witnesses that might have insight to their mental illness. If they can prove that someone was suffering from an illness that really did impact their judgment or control, it would show that they lack the necessary criminal intent to be legally responsible for their actions. Defense immediately brought up that Adrian Wallace was a man who had significant mental issues and that he suffered a psychotic break that was a long time coming. The lifelong troubles with mental illness were well documented, but it was up to them to prove that it had continued to deteriorate into his adulthood, especially after moving in with his mother. To support their claim, a psychologist spent over 50 hours interviewing Wallace. Dr. Henry Miller came to court prepared to explain that Wallace did suffer from psychosis, which started in his childhood. This came from Wallace's commentary in therapy sessions, where he told him he received orders from God to attack and kill his mother and nephew the day of the shooting. This was the first time I think a lot of people heard of this claim. We know he mentioned God in the 911 call that he had made a promise not to kill himself. However, he never mentioned hearing voices or any commands. His psychologist said Wallace suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and that he can't tell the difference between his imagination and what's happening in the real world. But of course, the key tell on this schizophrenia would be the command hallucinations he was getting, which was not something anyone else had evidence of, only this doctor. When the prosecution was able to speak, they didn't shy away from Wallace's known mental issues. However, they claimed he was lucid and had intent when he got his gun and shot his family. He may be paranoid, but they didn't believe that there was evidence of schizophrenia. Wallace's history only had depression. He was never previously diagnosed with schizophrenia or psychosis. In his medical records from the years 1986 to 1999, there were several psychiatrists and psychologists who saw him, and in each case, there was moderate to major depression, and that's it. Prosecution believed that when his nephew made the small, innocuous comment, beat it, the slight set Wallace off. He then grabbed his gun and fired on them both, and he knew what he was doing. 
During the trial, Adrian's Miranda rights also came into question, as there was worry that much of the commentary that Adrian provided during the time in the cruiser and his interview at the station were going to be tossed. Basically, what happened is that the arresting officer didn't record himself reading the Miranda rights. Since so much was recorded, that became questionable. Did he actually read them in full? Did he ask Wallace if he understood what it meant? None of that was recorded. He was then promptly put into the car, which had recorded everything. The time that he was alone and muttering to himself, and the time the police were in the car with him asking questions. If it could be proved that he wasn't Mirandized properly, anything that happened in that car recording could be tossed. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure if that really would have benefited Wallace at all. The 911 call had just as much information, and that was not going to be tossed. In the end, they didn't exclude anything from the recording, which made a very strong case for aggravated murder. The trial went on for three weeks, but it only took the jury 12 minutes to come to a conclusion. Wow. I know. 12, a minute for every juror. That's not a good sign for the defense. Like, I literally picture 12 people sitting around a table and each of them get a minute to make up their mind. Yeah, and go yay or nay. Yay. Yeah. Nay. Wow. On Tuesday, July 1st, 2014, Adrian Graham Wallace was convicted of two counts of aggravated murder for the murders of his mother, Sandra Sue Wallace, and his nephew, Nicholas Brian Juarez. Since the jury rejected the insanity defense and proceeded with an aggravated murder conviction, Wallace was facing significant jail time, even the possibility of being put to death. The sentencing was scheduled to take place a week later, and it was up to the jury to decide whether Wallace would get 30 years in prison with a parole, a true life sentence with no parole, or the death penalty. Considering it took the jury all but 12 minutes to decide that Wallace did fully comprehend what he did when he killed his mother and nephew, Wallace and his attorneys had significant concerns that the jury might actually sentence him to death. Wallace spoke to his attorneys and decided that the best course of action was to skip the penalty phase and instead make an agreement with the DA. Wallace agreed to waive his right to any future appeals and accepted a life sentence with no parole in order to avoid being sentenced to death. Adrian Wallace now makes his home in the Snake River Correctional Facility where he will spend the rest of his natural life. Kudos to that 911 operator. She did amazing. We so often hear 911 calls where it is infuriating mm-hmm. to hear the person like repeating the same question over and over when it was very clear. Yeah. Um, A lot of times it comes off like they're not listening to the person. Right. And when someone is in a mental health situation or a crisis, listening will get you so far. So to hear her, you know, I don't know if that was protocol for an operator, but you can hear her get emotional. Yeah. That which she, is not. <laughs> she made it kind of personal, which I think he needed. I think she recognized. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to not get emotional because that was really hard to hear, not just because uh, of the circumstances and this person who's so clearly in pain mm-hmm. talking about his dead mother and like her brains being in his driveway and how horrific that is and that he just killed his family yeah that was interesting because it it was like the shock wore off for him but he was recognizing that it would be shocking for someone else to walk up and see yeah it. yeah 
And he sounded, I mean, <laughs> granted, uh, the severity was much less, but I've I've been in many, many, I mean, I could hear those conversations. That's why I'm like, whew, I could hear those conversations over and over and over with students, and I am going to get emotional. It's okay. It happens. It's a horrible thing that happened, that, which can trigger a lot of emotion. So, You know, so they would come in and... And they'd talk about the abuse they were going through. And then they would do something aggressive. Mm -hmm. And we'd have to take them out of the room and, and sometimes put them in a restraint. But they, sound, they sounded a lot like him. They would say, they would ask for me to kill If I was restraining them, they would ask me to kill them. Oh, that's sad. And, you know, we're talking like, from five years old to 12 years old and they would beg they sounded just like they sounded just like him and they would beg to be they would beg for me to kill them they would beg for me to call the police because they'd say look I I hit you I hurt you I'm bad call the police have them come get me have them come kill so me they can be taken from their home yeah that's or just taken away or <sighs> the self-hatred that you could hear in his voice mm-hmm where it's hard for me to imagine he wasn't the victim of abuse or at the very least something to, I agree. to trigger, you know, schizophrenia. I feel they've, I feel like I've read things and heard things of like, that it is almost like disassociative disorder where it's kind of triggered from things. I think, and I think the schizophrenia was where the problem was because personally he sounds yeah. like he was abused. He yeah. sounds mentally ill. Yes. I, don't necessarily think prison was the right call. Right. I Obviously, I wasn't in the courtroom. I did not talk to a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. But I think maybe the mistake defense took was putting all of their eggs in the basket of schizophrenia. Yes. If they could disprove that, mm -hmm. then that goes out the window. Where it could have been something else. He or could have been dis disassociating. Totally. Or like have him dive into more, you know, would it have benefited them? I mean... He did a horrific thing. A hor horrible, horrible thing. he killed not only his mother, but a young man who played video games with him. Mm -hmm. So that is not, that is separate. Yeah, if you can set aside the lives he took and think about him for a moment. Not um, even not even him, but just the um, the the boxes he checks and what his yeah. life was and what that called, like everything that led up to that. If maybe they had worked to do that, then he could have gone somewhere that they could have treated that. Yeah. You know, he did. He said multiple times, God, I promised God I would help people. I promised God this. I broke my promise with God. I don't know that that means mental illness. A lot of people reference that in mm -hmm. times of urgency. Yeah, it's it's hard, too, because, I mean, to play devil's advocate, his mom was a social worker and worked in psychiatry. She would have been very aware right. of problems that he had as a child and would right. want them addressed. So is he being manipulative? Like is well, is that makes he... me wonder because if the defense didn't lean into that to say, here's the evidence he gave us, or here's the stories he gave us about abuse from X Y Z family mm -hmm. member, and they could have used that. Used that. I mean, unfortunate as that is, that's the judicial system. They could have used that, and the fact that they didn't, that tells me, was that his mental health speaking, thinking that that had happened. Or did he think, yeah. was he, is he super conniving mastermind evil guy who 
sees the situation, calls 911 to confess mm-hmm. and throws in, oh, I was abused or, oh, I was. Yeah. And you just can't tell scenarios there. Like he could have been telling the truth and no one gave him the time of day to discuss his his abuse. Or, or he, he saw that as up. an out. He's yeah. like, oh, I watch enough yeah. law and order. And it sounds like the court kind of went that direction mm-hmm. where they sided with the sister who's saying, no, I've no one abused him. He was the violent right. one. He hit me. He beat me up and and had to go to juvie. It feels almost completely different. The phone call is one thing. And then you look at the court and go, you didn't pursue that angle. That makes me real suspicious. And you did go in and get your gun. You walked out before she left, you know. You knew what you were doing yeah. in that moment. So so to a lot of people, they see that justice was served here, that he is never getting out of prison. He's not being put on death row. So it's like filling a lot of buckets for Oregonians. Right. But I, I can't help but think he's not getting the treatment that he might need. Right. And how many people do we have that literally are just in a warehouse? It's like a storage unit of humans instead of yeah. like, oh, do you have schizophrenia? Oh, you don't. And you're actually like the worst kind of monster. You can stay put. That's fine. Oh, let's look at this case. Oh, you did have severe abuse and that led to drug use and that led to violence. And that. Okay, mm-hmm. what can we do? Instead of murdering someone, he could have, if, if he really had abuse or, and if he really had mental health things, could have fallen into drugs and could have just ended up on the street. Because yeah. I, I picture that with, with the people that I see, you know, living on our sidewalks. Well, had his mother not been there, yeah. that probably would have happened. Yeah. And so it's it's just... You wonder about the justice for everybody, because yeah. if he was abused, it's like, why wouldn't you pursue that if you're really seeking justice? And yeah, I mean, know, what and secrets? if he's not and 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 he just decided to do to do that because his mommy spoiled him and he was worried that was coming to an end. OK, bye. Enjoy or, you your know, life sentence. What secrets did his father take with him exactly. in his death? Like, I, I think there's so much more to the story that we yeah. don't know. Uh, because a lifelong mental illness like that, mm-hmm. I mean, that that had to play into it. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. A normal person doesn't explode in rage and kill people. I mean, I've definitely exploded in rage. Right. You know, but if, if I had years of mental illness behind me, who knows what I could exactly. do? Exactly. Or not recognizing the finality of things. Mm-hmm. Or part of me, too, thought maybe he had undiagnosed autism. With the way he struggled that, with social situations, that very well could not be the case. not as violence, not as someone that killed someone. But That's aunt, not it, but just that social ability. Yeah, uh, he maybe really the struggle wasn't with the job. comfortable talking to people. Like half the neighborhood didn't even know he lived there, right? Because he never went outside. And so that made me th- that when you were talking about the nephew making that comment, I could see where someone who maybe doesn't have that same processing. Yeah. Could take it to be. Especially if it's on the severe side. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for a reason, you're mad because mom's cutting you off or you've just come to a boil. And you have all that hate mm-hmm. and unaddressed abuse in your background. And a hunting rifle. Yeah, I don't know. Perfect combo. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm surprised he had that, first of all, if he didn't yeah. go out much. But... Well, and also you've been to juvie and like. You shouldn't have that. It makes me wonder if the family was aware. Do you, did they ever mention that? They didn't mention that. And I, I tried to find a little bit more information on how long he had had it and if it was under his mm. name. Um, and I, I was not able to find that. Yeah, that is interesting. It's just like, I wonder if the family even knew he had that, you know, because yeah. if the sister's saying he was the violent one and if mom's the social worker who's like trying to keep her family together. 
if they even knew he had that in his possession. No, no. It's it's a very sad case. So sad. And it's shocking that it's, you know, a couple blocks from me mm-hmm. and just a waste of life. Yeah. So sad. Those red lines give me anxiety. Like, <laughs> you bitch, you got this wrong. You don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. Your grammar bad. <laughs> <laughs> break up however you want break up oh, and this this is a this it's not Lu- is it louis is it, is it a talking- business is this a is this a rickshaw lies it's a beefer but it's shorter so don't worry it's a mini beefer or just when i was setting up the heater in here it was making me laugh how we just transitioned from calling farts, farts beefers to ep- big episodes <laughs> just regular size episodes are beefers that's now. why i like us i'm hungry now bring that butt over here <laughs> I still haven't seen that Frozen movie. That I, on the, the ski cover. lift? Yeah, <gasps> I haven't been able to find it. I have it on DVD. I'll let you borrow it. Except Chloe's not home, so I don't know how to work the... Oh, no. <laughs> I'd have to go to her room to watch a DVD. <laughs> like all of Oregon, Lake Oswiti... Lake Oswiti? <laughs> what the fuck is Lake Oswiti? <laughs> Lake Oswiti? Getting shitty in Lake Oswiti. <laughs> nickname alert. <laughs> But I guess that just means I hang around with the shitty people. <laughs> and Lake are shitty. Yeah. Lake are shitty. <laughs> Can you turn me up a little bit in my own ears? In my own ears. In my own ears. Nestled next to the canal acres and Bryant Nature Parks in Lake Oswego. <laughs> Have you ever said the place you live? <laughs> Lake Oswego. Lake are shitty. <laughs> oh my God. Are you lying? You don't live there. This whole time I've lived in Tolopin. <laughs> Nick was in three bands. Nope. Nick was in three bands at school, symphonic, marching, and jazz, as well as a band in choir. Nope. <laughs> I think it's really funny when I go like sentences perfect yeah. and then just fuck it and up. And then he was 14 bands and symphonic tuba. <laughs> I am sorry. Let me return. <laughs> Where he would spend time with her at home and his uncle, as well as taking a tour of the UW campus. Was that sentence weird? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. The fuck. In the psychi- (laughs) And while she spoke of her son often, Richard never met him. Nope. (laughs) Here I go again. (laughs) The adult version of him wasn't much different than he was- Nope. Read. I had a fucking tantrum. I'm in the wrong drive. I think my favorite part about your mess-ups- is that you don't just like stumble over the words or get ahead of yourself so they're like in the wrong order. You just make up new facts. <laughs> or I just go. He had never met him. No. I'm sorry. They were best it's, friends. It's <laughs> like my eyes slightly wander off the sentence yeah. and rather than finding it, oh, I just I <laughs> try to fill it in. I just like that it, I'll like get you thinking I'm going to do it without any mess ups. And oh, then no, like, honey. Just kidding. Oh, no, honey. You don't get me thinking that. As police continue to Continued fucking grammar. <laughs> um, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm not reading again. In his medical records, in his medical records, oh my god, directors, directors. ma'am. <laughs> we get that, but we don't see the like deep, right, rooted, horrific parts of that. Right. So neither does my therapist, who I can't find. Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written and hosted by Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough, edited by Josh McCullough. 
You can always contact us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. If you just can't get enough of Murder in the Rain, for as little as $5 a month, you'll have exclusive access to bonus episodes at patreon.com. You can find us on all of the socials, and for more true crime, follow at M underscore Murder in the Rain on TikTok, and you can also listen to Alicia and Josh on their other show, Always Be My Sisters. And suck my balls. <laughs> <laughs>